0: Hello and welcome to Playback Daily. It's Tuesday the 13th of February. I'm Louise Herity and here's just some of what's coming up. You
1: need very thick skin and a lot of people just feel, if you're well-intentioned and you're 36 and you're looking to settle down, start a family, have kids, but all you're meeting are people who are just looking for one-night stands, it becomes soul-destroying after a while and you start to question, you know, the, you know how genuine people are out there.
2: So yeah, we do about 1,200 to 1,300 pancakes because you get too each. So we have to do that now. They love them. So we probably have to make more mix. we probably haven't got enough. But if we have to, we have to, we'll do it. Eagles, for example,
3: our golden eagles or white-tailed sea eagles. They mate for life. They have the same eerie every year. They have the same missus. They rear their chicks and that's the full-time jobs.
0: Well, it's Pancake Tuesday and I hope you enjoyed yours. Reporter Etna Dodd was at the Capuchin Day Centre in Dublin's north inner city where the pans were sizzling this morning. Yes,
4: that's right. I'm here in the Capuchin Day Centre with uh, Father Kevin Kiernan. I arrived this morning at half past seven. That's when their doors open and they already had pancakes uh, made and ready to serve out here. They've served more than 100 people so far this morning and more coming in all the time. When I began uh, talking, when I began my uh, uh, kind of look around Capture Day Centre today, I spoke with uh, Patricia Keane, she's the chef here, and I asked her about her pre- preparations. She told me she plans to break more than
2: 600 eggs today. Pancake Tuesday, 27 years. But we're doing about an extra, since I started, say an extra 500 pancakes since I started. It's because we have more people coming in now. We're out the door every single day, Six, 700 people every day. When we do the pancakes, when we're serving them out at lunchtime, when they come in, half them, say... Oh, it was the Pancake Tuesday? They don't even realise Pancake Tuesday until they see them. So, yeah, we do about 1,200 to 1,300 pancakes because they get two each. So we have to do that amount. They love them. So we probably have to make more mix. We probably haven't got enough. But if we have to, we have to, we'll do it. And in terms of dietary requirements, can
4: you make different kinds of pancakes if anyone is a, has an allergy or well, something? We
2: always have the allergy sign out the front there. And if they have allergies, yeah, we could. We just do them without sugar, without vanilla, without... We we'll do them if they want them.
4: And that was uh, Patricia Keane. She's been working at the Capuchin Day Centre for more than 20 years. I also spoke to some of the people eating the pancakes, many of whom told me that they were starting with their porridge or their sausages and eggs and then would have a pancake for dessert or would come back at lunchtime and have pancakes there, which is also an option. Uh, We can hear a few of their voices now.
5: I come
1: three days a week.
4: And what does it offer you? A
1: meal and help with medical issues.
4: And do you get a good breakfast here?
1: Oh, it's beautiful.
4: And what about today? Are you going to take a pancake?
1: Yeah, I will take a pancake, yeah.
4: I've been coming since I 017.
6: I'm now 38, turning 39.
4: So yeah, a long time. And it, tell me, do they do a good
6: breakfast here? Yeah. Always do a great breakfast, yeah.
4: And what about on Pancake Tuesday? Do you always take a pancake? And will you take one today? Definitely. Have you been coming to the Capuchin Day Centre long?
7: Six, s- six, seven.
4: And do you always get a breakfast here?
7: Yes. Breakfast and nice dinners on the daytime as well.
4: Pancake Tuesday, do you get a pancake always?
7: I don't eat pancakes, but <laughs> breakfast is <was> always nice.
4: <laughs> and will you take a pancake today? Uh,
7: no, I have today nice eggs, nice sausages, what for, you the pancake. <laughs>
4: How long have you been coming here for your breakfast?
7: Uh, last half year. Yeah. It's nice, tasty, stuff is very beautiful, all the time friendly.
4: Pancakes offered for breakfast and lunch. Will you will you take one?
7: I think so. Yeah.
4: And if you
2: if you take one, what kind of topping are you gonna take?
7: Uh, blueberry jam.
2: I come in here since the past four year and five yeah. Find it very good. Yeah. Very good service here. Yeah, for uh, the homeless.
4: And I see you're eating porridge now. Will you take a pancake for for dessert for your breakfast after that?
2: Yeah, we don't have one. There. <laughs>
4: and what uh, toppings would you put on your pancake?
2: Whatever they give with uh, a chocolate and all strawberries. <laughs>
4: How long have you been coming to the Capuchin Day Centre?
8: Ten years. May I mainly come in for breakfast and sometimes for lunch and dinner. But it's more than just uh, for meals. They provide chiropodists here, dentists here, opticians here. It's like a men's shed too. And the staff are great and there's a sense of real sense of community. Uh, It's for your mental health as well.
4: For the food itself, though, is the food food tasty?
8: Oh, yeah, it's top quality.
4: Do you know it was Pancake Tuesday? It's Pancake Tuesday today.
8: I had completely forgotten, but uh, it's great, you know.
4: And now that you know, will you take a pancake for dessert after your breakfast or maybe for lunch? (laughs) Yeah, I will that they were some of the people all enjoying their pancakes and I had one myself. It was very good, I have to say. And now I'm here with uh, Father Kevin Kiernan. It's your first Pancake Tuesday at the Capuchin Day Centre. Are you looking forward to it?
7: Well, I am. It's, it's, I, I think it's all about experience. Um, you know, we call it Pancake Tuesday, but it's also Shrove Tuesday and shrove means to absolve. So it's, it's a time when people are called to, I, I suppose, to, to convert, to change their ways. Like Pope Francis said, you know, always pray for the poor and then feed them. That's how prayer works. So it's an opportunity for us to, I suppose, engage more with those in the day centre through the simple pancake.
4: So uh, getting a pancake into your stomach kind of gets you chatting. And why is it so important to get people talking when they're in places like this?
7: Well, I suppose um, people are coming from different backgrounds from different and uh, they all have their own stories to tell. And it's about building up that trust. It's a real community here in the Capuchin Day Centre, a community of people with so many different religions, so many different cultures, and it's just one thing like a pancake might start a conversation and to build up that trust.
4: And tomorrow, of course, today's Ash... Uh, tomorrow is Pancake... Sorry, excuse me, today is Pancake Tuesday and tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. You will, of course, have ashes on your forehead. I'm sure that gets a few people talking too.
7: Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, all of us will have our those of us who are catholic will have our ashes on tomorrow and people say, what's that on your forehead father and it's just an opportunity for me to share something of my faith my i suppose um what, what we do as christians and then we have a conversation they'll tell us about the different faiths that they belong to and what they do so it's all about starting that conversation and building up the trust and engaging with each other
4: And does it take a long time to build up trust or does it depend on the person?
7: Of course it is. Like I'm here a a year and I've been chaplain in in hospitals over the years and it takes actually a long time. People are looking and watching and seeing can they trust you. And it's not actually, it's actually just not even what you say to people, it's how you are with people.
4: And tomorrow, Wednesday, is usually your busiest day. It's when you give out grocery vouchers. How many times were people, uh, how many people, sorry, came to your. Retro giveaway last week?
7: Well, last Wednesday, there was uh, 1,710 parcels given out, but also meals given out. So it's quite busy, yeah, on a Wednesday. So tomorrow we will have the the groceries to be given out, but also we'll give a takeaway um, breakfast. Now, it's Ash Wednesday, do we do we still give out the normal sausages and whatever yes we do because we cater for all people and all religions and we don't just focus on our own religion but for those who prefer not to eat meat tomorrow that option is there yeah
0: etna dodd's report from the capuchin day center on morning ireland Well, what comes after Pancake Tuesday is, of course, at Wednesday, but it's also Valentine's Day tomorrow. So on the Oliver Callan show, the host was discussing all things dating and was joined in studio by Fergal Harrington from Intro Matchmaking.
9: Thank you very much for having me. And you are here to be the antidote to these dating apps and how people, they've they're been wiped out by dating apps really a lot of people, have they?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of exhaustion. People are quite jaded. Uh, the amount of time and effort that goes into online dating, uh, they call me every single day and they say, look, where are all the genuine people? What's wrong? Why are, why are there so many disingenuous people? Why are they lying all the time? So people are, are quite tired. They spend two to three hours a night sometimes swiping right and left. They have to be yeah. witty constantly. They have to respond within seconds, otherwise they get abused. It's it's it's, it's a hard work uh, online. I'm not saying it doesn't work for anybody. I'm not it saying does, at It all. does work for some. It does, of course. When
9: does it work for some people, do you know? Uh, if you're
1: willing to put the effort and the time in or if you're really oh, lucky. Um, but you need very thick skin and a lot of people just feel... If you're well-intentioned and you're 36 and you're looking to settle down, start a family, have kids, but all you're meeting are people who are just looking for one-night stands, it becomes soul-destroying after a while and you start to question, yeah. you know, the, you know, how genuine people are out there. So when you lose hope and we start feeling that, oh God, maybe I'm not going to meet anybody, that's when you need to say, okay, no, you just need to change things up and do something different.
9: You'd have to be good at cyber-weeding. Indeed. To, um, to, yes. make, to just yes. invent a phrase on the spot they do sound awful is there a cultural shift now away from dating apps uh,
1: hugely yeah which is why we're so busy I mean we have a team of matchmakers here organising up to 100 dates a week uh, and we're 13 I years th- in business now so it's um, yeah it's shockingly busy um, how many matchmakers you have know? 7, 8 uh, yeah really? always around that um, yeah so it's it, and they're constantly you see we organise everyone's dates so we and we, we don't take everybody on so we do weed through as you say uh, a lot of people who may have expectations that we, we can't meet and we know we can't meet them. So we will make sure to bring on you know, people that we feel that we uh, have a good chance of finding what they're looking for. So, managing expectations is key. And so, the team of matchmakers—they're—they're—they're they're, they're amazing. They organise everyone's dates. They do all the feedback, all the follow-up calls. Everything is handled do by you them. Have to
9: be, Is there a qualification to become matchmakers?
1: You need to be uh, quite empathetic. You need to be unbelievably organised in terms of admin. You need to be salesy, uh, and you need to have yeah thick skin. Salesy. You need to be good at selling profiles. Uh, you okay. need to sell John to Mary and John to John, and I see. you know, I see you and a lot of the time people may may find that, you know, that person doesn't sound like the ideal candidate for me. Why do you think so? So you need to be able to convince people that, well, the team of matchmakers have come up with this person for a very good reason based on your traits and qualities and characteristics. So we think it best just to to go and meet that person. But at times people can come in to us after having maybe three years spent online so there's a little bit of pessimism maybe at times or cynicism that maybe it's not going to work out right. so we need a positive atmosphere a positive attitude uh, and approach uh, to, uh, to, to, to success basically and that's why this uh, does
9: lead to They success. must have some hope when they're approaching it because obviously <laughs> money has to change hands and all of that the,
1: Yes they, they do and they sometimes they have such high hopes though that you know God alone wouldn't actually be able to you know meet that expectation so oh, right. you, you need to really manage those
9: that's uh, where your, your vetting basically comes in. That's where the vetting comes By the in. way, anyone with any questions on with 51551 is the text, oliver.orte.ie, as well as the email. Uh, how much is a matchmaking service?
1: Well, our, our one is 1195. We charge
9: 1,195 yeah. euro, okay. So,
1: so to be clear, we charge the same amount for every person. We don't do a tiered pricing package, because in my opinion, I just don't feel it's fair to charge different amounts for the same service. Uh, also, there's no time limit on the membership. So when you join a dating agency like Intro... There, there shouldn't be a time constraint you shouldn't be signing up for just six months because there's no way of predicting when your best matches are going to be available so when people join us they join us for five guaranteed introductions
9: five guaranteed introductions, yes, introductions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we and
1: arrange all those so we don't pass out mobile numbers that's important too you know a lot of the time John might be given Mary's number and be told go off now and ring Mary now and sort it out for yourself John being a little bit Irish may procrastinate and oh, may please. not call, Mary.
9: Uh, so you're yes. still in charge? Of the
1: We're still in charge. We take the reins until. and make sure the dates actually materialise, which is what people like. We take all the hard work out of it
9: for them. And so if it works after your two second meeting, then you've you, still sc- got... You go on
1: pause. You go on pause with the other person and she you got see have three
9: insurance ones.
1: Yes, yeah. You yes, have three in the bag just, just in case things don't work out. Uh, but, but you could keep going to get the value either. You could of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so five guarantees. Some people get success after one. Other people might rejoin yeah. and,
9: and go out on eight or nine. Uh, you, so it's expensive because you're taking responsibility for the people you're introducing, I presume. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, we're, we're we're offices on Grafton Street, and we're paying for staff, and we're light and heat and rent and rates and everything. If people are looking for a professional service, I suppose yes, they know that it's going to require that. But I mean, if you're in London, you'd be yeah. up to twenty five thousand in in New York, hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. You know, uh, some people charge. Right. So yeah, no, it's when you look at the greater scheme of things it's actually
9: quite reasonable And and it is people looking for someone to share their life with
1: L- Yes Well we have members now from 20 to 93 and uh, they're either single separated divorced or widowed from all over the world living all over the 32 counties So it's not just a Dublin centric thing at all but yes they are looking for a different thing you really have 93 year olds? Yeah Well, really? well uh, one 93 year old uh, but a lot of people in their 80s that are second time around you know they might have been uh, married for 60 years to their childhood sweetheart and they're thinking well I'm not over the hill yet? I might as well just yeah. enjoy my experiences. At what
9: point would you say we're, we're giving up?
1: Yeah, exactly. Not so at all. yeah, um, and in the twenties they're coming in and they're uber mature. Usually not into you know the drinking culture. Very organized, and their career is lined up. Their education is complete. They just want us to sort out the relationship status. Yeah. Uh, so very mature. And in the thirties, yes, of course, people are looking to get married, settle down, start a family, all of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's going extremely well because the people we bring on board are are. are Easily, not easily pleased but they're capable of being pleased. You've been in business for how long? 13, yeah. Okay,
9: 13 so it's years. working away. What is the success rate then? Uh,
1: one in four you? would end in marriage or long-term relationships or whatever you deem success to a be. A quarter.
9: Yeah, and a third of our business is word of mouth. That's really, that's really high for dating. So someone has now successfully matched and they say... To I to don't need any more yeah, yeah exactly and Irish people
1: won't tell their, their 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 people at the wedding that they met through intro but they'll tell the, their friends on the QT here ring these guys on Grafton Street they're good Yeah, that's what happens
9: A question already in from Claire. Yes. Um, is can you ask is it your policy to match women with men 10 years older and vice versa I was told this was the only option as men like younger women No uh, no men become quite difficult
1: on age when they hit 40 men will ring up and say hey do you have any 22 year olds on the books and I say yes of course we do but they don't want to meet you John so I'm sorry it doesn't work that way there's <laughs> It's a two-way street, uh, but no. Usually, uh, if if a woman is calling us and she's saying I'm 45, usually what works best is from her own age up to, but never more than sort of six or seven years older. That age range is perfect. But I get 65-year-old men ringing up every day saying now they think it's time they started a family, so they'd like to meet a 35-year-old because they lived at home on the farm with the parents yeah. and Mammy sort of said, Arsher, oh, sure, don't go anywhere now, stay where you are with me, look after us." And, and they've
9: been reading John B. Keen a little bit of that. They still think this it's this the field it's and still all, yeah, or
1: oh, the matchmaker and Sive going, yeah. and all that. So yeah, we have to be very honest with him, but it's, it, it is sad because it's still quite common to get those calls every single
9: day. Can you, you know, repair their expectations of someone like that?
1: If, if on one conversation for 25 minutes uh, and we explain facts and policies based on stats from CSO figures and census results, if that doesn't work in 25 minutes, then no. Uh, so that's what we do. We have a triage conversation with every single person. And if they agree, then great. We say, come on board. If they don't, we say, perhaps it's best not to.
9: Um, do some of the gender stereotypes Come true when you're talking about expectations. In indeed,
1: yes, indeed they do. Uh, well, tell us about women first of all. What are their women are looking for? Uh, highly educated, uh, unbelievably tall men, six foot, you know, two six foot four. Yeah, Irish, to Irish we, women, yeah. To which we have to respond: the average height of a man is five foot seven and a half. So there again with the L, uh, you know, the facts. Uh, yeah. And and but they will often say stuff like, "Well, I'm only being honest with you by telling you, Oliver, that that's what I want." Yeah. I like, say, "You can say you're only being honest, but it, the reality is they don't exist. There's only thirty percent of, of Irish guys over six foot." So that's what we have to be, the voice of reason. So yes, the, the age, the, the, the height thing. A lot of women will say, I want someone active and sporty because I'm very into Pilates and yoga and I eat fish all the time so my complexion is very youthful looking and I drink 10 pints of water a day. So we do feel good about ourselves a lot of the time, Oliver. Uh, and they're, they're looking for their counterpart. So managing those expectations. Uh, they're looking for guys who are well cultured, highly educated. But the problem there is for every one woman in Ireland who has third level education, there's only 0.6 of an equivalent male. So we need to try and say to those women, please don't judge the guy just because he left School early, started his own business and is a massively successful entrepreneur. <laughs> okay,
9: so be open to that. So they're looking for postcodes. A lot of that, a
1: lot of, not for financial stability, but more for intellectual compatibility. They feel they feel the guy won't be that's amazing a, uh, talker unless he went to Trainers for Winners. That's a bad um,
9: That's a bad measure of intellect. And the men,
1: the men. Uh, oddly enough, against all odds, they're, they're not just all about looks. We don't show photographs. No surnames, photographs, or phone numbers are given out okay. in here. But what they are looking is for is down to earth, grounded, genuine, no drama. They're, they're just looking for an easygoing life. That's right. what they're saying all the time.
9: Their definition of,
1: of drama. The, the
9: yes, yeah, yes. indeed,
1: indeed. Uh, who are your clients generally? They are from all walks of life, literally, uh, uh, from teachers to nuclear physicists to politicians. but
9: are they generally people who've tried everything and are kind of coming to you in in the last hope?
1: Some would. uh, I wouldn't say the last hope. Some some may have tried uh, uh, other other areas and just failed. Um, Other people were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Other people wouldn't go near online dating in the first place because they're so private because of their career. So they want something. They they sign seven page long terms and conditions in here. So they're uber big on privacy. And yeah. so I would say it's that teachers are our number one client, um, always have been uh, over thirteen years, probably because yeah. of the highly female-dominated industry that it is. Um, but yes, they're all walks of life. Big
9: success for teachers.
1: Huge, yeah, yeah, huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, a lot of guys will say, oh, "I'd love to meet a teacher." I'd love to meet, yeah, you know. Uh, of uh,
9: what about uh, same-sex matching? You yes, do that as well all the time. Absolutely. Is that common? It is it, it,
1: it, less so, but more yeah, men obviously. are more common. Yeah. Um, they, what they what they say all the time is that just the area that they're in in it, it, they know everybody everyone knows everybody and it's a little bit seedy and they're looking for something long term and committed that's what they really are calling when the gay men ring up when they're going the matchmaking yeah, service big yeah big time
9: yeah. and what, ha- what happens then is it a blind date or how do you to, introduce yeah we call uh,
1: the, the both parties about each other we sell the profile over the phone they give their availability we arrange the date at the halfway point between the two parties we book the table in the restaurant we do all the feedback afterwards the staff are on call seven nights a week in case Mary's running ten minutes late to meet Elaine and you know we then do the feedback the next working day to see how you both got on would you like to see each other again was there spark chemistry and uh, if they want to go on pause they go on pause if they don't we learn from their experience and we move forward to the next match It's terrifying in a way It's it's not as terrifying as people's actual lives when they come in after having a a terrible breakup after an abusive relationship or something like that so it's it's people do big it up too much and they, they fear that it's going to be you know very overwhelming it's not it's five dates with five
9: nice people The worst thing that can happen Is you make good friends How do you make Because Do you have more women Than men on the books
1: No no, In the 20s and 30s There's actually in Ireland More men than women That's starting In the 20s and 30s Yes but in the 40s 50s and 60s There's more women than men But we would never allow Our ratio go over 60-40 women to men The reason a lot of The time we need to
9: turn down Some people who say
1: Only if we get get to that ratio Where it becomes an imbalance Um, But no A lot of women will ask us that They'll say I bet you there's loads of women On the books and no men to which my reply not being blunt but we wouldn't be able to exist as a company and organise 100 dates a week if that's all we had. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's women talk about it more than men talk about it. Men. And
9: just finally really quickly yeah. uh, 29th of February yes. women proposing to men. These are people already in couples.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Should yeah. they do it? In our experience no. It's a terrible idea that it ends in disaster and breakups because like it emasculates the man the and man can't take it he resents her then for doing she, that so she's she dragging him, out him anyway. well, probably not if, she, if, he, if he won't do it himself he probably shouldn't
0: to put it quite bluntly Fergal Harrington from intro matchmaking on the Oliver Callan show Well, from humans dating to love in the natural world, Aina Nilauna, wildlife expert and author of Wonders of the Wild, joined Claire Byrne to talk about the animals that mate for life.
5: Aina Nilauna is here. Who else would you expect here to talk about this be the greatest living expert on
3: such <laughs> matters only by good self?
5: Spring is definitely in the air now. Yes, you yes. can see it and you can feel it and, and all of that. Is it the start of the
3: mating season? Well, Valentine's Day isn't just an accident. I mean, St. Valentine lived in Roman times. Who knows when he died? I mean feast days are normally the day somebody died that's when you celebrate it so they decided because he was the the patron saint of love that the day that the birds pair up for season is the day that Valentine's Day will be celebrated and this happens apparently on the 14th of February not on the 13th, not on the 15th (laughs) they start on the 14th of February so this is why we have Valentine's Day and it's because the birds pair up on that day that's the plan
5: And the birds, a lot of them, they do mate for
3: life, do they? Well, that's the plan, that's the theory at any rate and we know some of them very well. Eagles, for example, our golden eagles or white-tailed sea eagles, they mate for life. They have the same eerie every year, they have the same nisses, they rear their chicks and that's a full-time job, so they're they're together at it. We know that swans mate for life. Richard Collins on our Mooney goes wild. Program has a PhD in swans, no less, and he used to put rings on them, and he used to know who was married to whom and whatever. But of course, being Richard Collins and doing a PhD, he discovered that some of them had a bit on the side. Okay. Yes. So I mean, there's just mating for life, just being monogamous, and there's a bit on the side. Yeah, but see, the swans apparently, the bullfinches do it as well. Now the bullfinches are an interesting one. That fellow with the big red breast and the black and his mm-hmm. wife is a pale image of himself and they have a little whispery song not like the lovely songs you get from goldfinches and linnets and things because once they mates, that's it Your man doesn't have to be singing to, to attract a woman anymore he has her and that's it.
5: And he finds it hard to sing does he or he's well, not good know, at it? No he doesn't
3: I mean why would you waste energy singing it takes a lot of energy to yeah. be up there singing So he's happy not burnt. to have to go and do that. So he doesn't have to because I mean he has his missus for life so why would you use his energy for something else than yeah. from singing I, d- I, d- I don't yeah.
5: want to take the romance out of this now but these birds aren't like finding somebody and falling in love. This is for territorial reasons surely.
3: Well I mean the, the male will be, this is what's happening now at this time of year, you even already you wake up early and before it's dawn and you can hear Robin sing and you can hear the the great tits, the great one, teacher, teacher, teacher and that's the male saying this is my garden I live here and I won't be tied any other fella that comes in, I'm in charge and anyone any male that comes in who looks aggressive and is the singing does a fight standoff and then if a woman goes by and hears this beautiful sound and says hmm, wouldn't mind a bit of that in she comes and then that's it your man clicks and there you go and the woman gets to make the decision will I have him will I not and that's it for. and generally for birds when they, they mate they're together for the season so a year is a long time in a bird's life so they'll, they'll mate the they'll nest box is occupied they'll be making the nest doing all the stuff laying the eggs finding the babies daddy and mammy will help it takes the two of them to rear seven or eight young and at the end of the day at the end of the year if you were to count how many so you have mammy and daddy and eight babies in your garden in May but in December you have two birds still you have one of the adults has survived and one of the chicks and that's a holding position that's wow. all. All the rest of them are part of the food chain for something else. Okay. So therefore so next then, year next year he's there singing again a different one might come. It mightn't be the same one. Or so he mightn't be singing again, someone else might sing. Mate for life,
5: but made for a short life.
3: But that's for the that's for most of them. But the bullfinches stick together all the time. The swans stick together all the time. And the, the eagles stick together all the time. And a few mammals do it as well, but not too many, I'm afraid. Foxes and wolves stick together for life. I mean, if you have foxes in your garden, what you have there is an instance where Mammy and Daddy and the then and when she's carrying and when she's actually um, feeding the, the the babies with her milk, the, the dog fox will bring food and that sort of thing. So he has a hands-on job keeping the family going. But a lot of the a lot of the um, the actual males in the and the in the mammal world will just mate and then clear off, and Mammy has to do all the rearing herself. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no cosy set up in that instance. And what
5: happens when the cubs grow up and they start they ma- clear
3: off and then mommy and daddy go again? They boot them out. Right, but, they, yeah. but
5: the mammy and daddy stay together. Oh yeah, that's
3: their territory, yeah. Right. In the case of foxes, in the case of wolves, you have a whole pack and the only ones that are allowed to mate are the alpha male and the alpha female. So the others are all helping and being around and, and the, the, the mm. male wolf, the, he has his chief missus and he doesn't... Um, the chief others, missus? Well, they're missus. I mean, there's females in the pack and males, but the the, one, the alpha female is the one that he mates with and the, the offspring then are part of that. But, but what a lot of cases we find with DNA analysis in any bird's nest. So even if the two blue tits are you know madly in love and in your nest box you know they'll they have a bit inside the side when the other isn't looking so a missus maybe be mate with the blue tit next door and when they do DNA analysis on the young in the nest only five of them may belong to daddy who's minding them and three might belong to the man over the hedge, and this, of course, is apparently good from a point of view of genetic variation. Maybe the fellow over the hedge is a better male, maybe those babies will be more resistant mm-hmm. to disease. So, we're trying to let a woman off on, on the technical <laughs> term, Your <laughs> Honor, that it was for my DNA I was doing, if nothing else. And w-
5: would Mr. Blue Tit ever find out now that that went on? Or would
3: well, to was... be war if there was? Yeah, so they do it snakily, they're not going to be doing it publicly in the box, yeah. And the man will be, but he's moved. no way of knowing like he's going to look at them, unless and say... catches them in the act, but I mean, the act doesn't last very long, so generally, and he won't catch them in the act. He's he's not going to
5: look at the... The blue tits that aren't his and say they don't look like me. He's I'm just sure never I mean. going to figure
3: it out, is he? But I mean, lots of males don't. I mean, it's the wise child isn't just that not his own father <laughs> in any species. God knows.
5: So why is this happening then? Why, like, what sort of practical reasons make this happen that they stick together? And in particular, the swans and the eagles who stick together for life, and the foxes.
3: Because because rearing rearing your young. I mean, if you are a male and you're female and you get together, you want to make sure. The reason you do it is so that you pass on your genes, so that you have offspring. You're not you're immortal if you pass on your genes. So. Therefore, you need to make sure that those babbies live and survive. So if it's, if the situation, in the case of whatever species it is, needs two people in to do all that work, well, then two people have to be there, mm-hmm. or two, 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 a male and a female. Because we have cases, because of over the years on The Mooney Show, we've had nest boxes with, with cameras, so we know exactly what happens. And on a few occasions, sadly, the male and the female are running in and out, 500 times a day with creepy crawlies and then one of them is killed or doesn't come back and the male or the female that's left cannot keep the show on the road and they all die off. So it takes two to make keep the show on the road in certain cases and when that's the case then it makes it's, it's, it's complete evolutionary and ecological sense that the male and the female are both blind the young. But in cases like ducks for example that take 30 days to come out of the egg and they're ready to go and they're swimming along behind the adult feeding themselves I mean that's Daddy just slam bam. Thank you, Mammy. Just, I mean, yes, I've no, heard that about no the ducks, All right. Yeah. There's no. There's no need because I mean, once she's impregnated, your yeah, man with his big flashy feathers is only a nuisance sitting on the nest. I mean, if I'm coming back in my next life, I'm surely not coming back as a duck. Tell you that much. <laughs> but um, you know, whereas in other cases, like like eagles and like 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 swans, there's a lot of maintenance, there's a lot of protection, there's a lot of a lot of. Um, you know, swans are big white birds and you know, two two of them need to be there to keep away their ground nesting, you know, and all mm-hmm. of that. So protection is needed for them. So they camouflaged the way it's better
5: off if we just stick together. The well whole way the
3: ones that did so sort of, I mean they don't have a meeting and say, No, I think we'll stick together. Like, yeah, we're not gonna let like, like them terrible ducks. We're going to be this way. It's just the ones that did it work, the ones that didn't went to the wall. Mm-hmm. And survival is what you're talking about, survival of the fishes. So
5: what happens uh you have a pair of swans, they've decided now we're together, we're gonna to do all this work together and what one of them dies. Well, one of
3: them dies. Well, your man or your woman will grieve for a while. But as Richard Collins discovered, he'll check up or she'll check up with another fellow who's available, everybody. And it could be two or three years younger than them or older than them, you know, I mean, they will they will, they will, will breed again. Because, in fact, there are very, very few species, I think there's a species of monkey or something, and ourselves where we have menopause. Females in every other species will, will be able to produce until they die. There's no waste they of keep going. years where you're not producing and you're just there. I mean, it's things with big brains. who have all the knowledge or grandparents' knowledge is what keeps the species going. In the case of humans, there's a reason for uh, you know, having grandparents, but there would be no reason for having uh, birds or mammals that couldn't produce. So they, they reproduce right up to the end, which means that they can mate and they can get a new husband in the last 10% of their lives because they're as effective as they were. any but other. You, then, did, more
5: you did say they grieve for a while, do they? Well, I don't know whether they grieve for a she made that up
3: <laughs> if, the missus, if the missus dies halfway through the breeding season then your man can't rush off and get another one somewhere boot out the previous you know so he's there on his own mm-hmm. trying to feed his young or whatever when we think because we're great at making our feelings on top of I mean on top of the poor the poor um
5: we superimpose how yeah, we would behave. Yeah, we take all that poor, that
3: poor bird and came back and found its babies all thrown out. I mean, I mean, you think of the the, the meadow pipits and the cuckoo lays the egg in the nest and the cuckoo's egg comes out first and boots out all the others. I mean, does Mrs. Pe- meadow Pipper come back and say, "Oh God, my babies have fallen, have only one left"? She just they just get on with the, the cuckoo, they don't seem to grieve that they've lost five already, that they've all been kicked out by this interloper. They don't even recognise. So it they'll they'll bring up the cuckoo, Yeah, yeah they? Won't the even blink an eye. So the cuckoo gets as big as a pigeon, and there's the size of. <laughs> Sparrow, and I mean, don't think how is our fella so big? <coughs> They're probably down in the pub saying, My son is in size 10 trousers, yours is only in size 2. But well, you wonder
5: how them. they feed him
3: you know? That's well, they stand on their backs and they kill, they start kilt feeding them. I mean, it's a really hard job, and then the thing then decides it's not a meadow pepper at all, it's a cuckoo. And I never saw cuckoos in its life because his mummy and daddy have gone back to Africa way back in July, and in September, this thing says, I'm not living here, I'm leaving home, and goes to Africa. I mean, how does it even know where Africa is? There's so little we know about wildlife really you think about I
5: want to go back now to the cheating because I'm kind of intrigued by that now. So you say you have robins or blue tits and you said there'd be an awful row if you were caught in the act. That's where the yes. trouble starts. But apart from that it's accepted, is it? Well, it's not known. It's not known it's to not be known. the case.
3: But I mean it confers a benefit because the, the female who has the eggs of several fathers has more genetic variation mm. in her nest. So if the ones that she has by the official man of the faraday have any kind of a genetic thing she'll lose them all but whereas she's the, had a bit in the side with tea next door there'll be some that will survive
5: Isn't the male infiltrator a brave fellow now to go into a garden and do that Oh she
3: sneaks off Oh she oh, he, oh, does not Oh no the woman sneaks oh. off for the bit on the side hey, right. man doesn't come I in I had it all wrong oh, yeah, I thought yeah, he
5: on, was coming up, in up, Claire, to, up, yeah. to the territory of the couple No no but no, it's, no oh, she, she's,
3: she sneaks off So he's off
5: well whatever he's doing we don't I know what he's doing to... either Who? The oh. male of the couple where is he?
3: Well, I mean, he, obviously he could be doing anything. He, he could be playing away from home as well. I mean, how do we know? I mean, this is a whole PhD here. <laughs> Give up the day job, Claire. We will we'll go off and do some we'll studies and figure
5: things. it all out. Listen, I want to ask you about something um, on the serious end of this because we had some news from the United Nations assessment uh, during the week that more than a fifth of the Earth's migratory species the ones that are under international protection, A&E, they are threatened with extinction, which is extraordinary, really, isn't it? It's A terrible, of it
3: them. is. These are migratory species yeah. that that's you know, one part of the lives in one part of the world and one part of another. An awful lot of them, in fact, are in the oceans. An awful lot of our sharks, our sturgeons are under threat because of the fact that we have our pollution in our, our oceans are polluted, we have climate change and I have to say to be fair to Charlie Hawley I mean years and years and years ago he made our waters to be a a whale and dolphin sanctuary and only a couple of years ago, last year and the year before we find all these basking sharks off the west coast of Ireland mating dancing and swimming around in circles doing all kinds of carry on because this is an area where they come for that part of their life cycle. You see a lot of these migratory species don't spend all their life cycle in the one place and that's why we have in Europe things like the European Habitat Directive and the Birds are active and we could be killed minding the geese below in Wexford that come here for the winter but if they're not protected on their nesting site they're not going to come here. So we only have half the story we can be minding the swallows here in their nests but if they're all getting shot going through Italy that's not much good you know so that this is why migratory species are very much dependent on communication and you know collaboration. International cooperation and this is where it's fallen down and then a lot of them in the oceans. Oceans are hugely polluted by everybody and nobody and the stuff that lives in the oceans I mean we know about plastic bags going into turtles we know about the fact that the oceans are becoming more acidic we know that our salmon has become now an endangered species on the last declaration of that the Atlantic salmon sturgeon we used to have sturgeon in our waters yes. the monks in Clonmac used to eat sturgeon probably sitting about eating caviar instead of saying their prayers we haven't had a sturgeon in Ireland since 1966 when one turned up below in Dingle so you know these were migratory ones that spent half their life in fresh water half their life at sea and the two lots have to be right mm-hmm. or it won't work if you block up your rivers by putting weird so the things can't get up. If you if you have, you know, land use change for these migratory land beasts that go from one place to another, you have land use change, you've cut down the forest, you've done something else with it, then you don't have the habitat for them for that part of their life okay. cycle. You, you so me- it's a huge, huge it's a hu- problem. It's something a huge like issue. 44% of them are in decline and 22% of them are threatened with extinction. You it's mentioned
5: uh, swallows there when you were talking about <laughs> migrating species yeah. and I have a Question in from somebody who welcomes the swallows back
3: when they when they come into the shed. Do they mate for life? Or is it the same pair coming back? Well you see then there's fidelity to sight which is a different matter. The swallows will come back to where they're born. So I was born in your shed so I'm back to your shed and lo and behold don't I meet the fellow next door who was born in the shed as well ah. whom I mated with last year but he might have gotten killed this time round or whatever but I'm back in my shed and sure, if he doesn't turn up somebody else will. So there's there's fidelity to sight which a lot of them and the seabirds will have this as well. Things like ghillimots and razorbills they'll land out on the cliff and they're in the exact spot on their on their, on their their site, and the females was there last year, she'll come and he says, Ah oh there yeah, missus. But I mean if, if she's gotten killed or something, he's still on the site, somebody else will come. It's so a marriage
5: of convenience. That's well true is.
3: most of them, isn't that what it's I don't them know are.
5: whether that was romantic or not. I'm completely <laughs> confused now. Uh, Aina, thanks so much.
0: Ayn and Nilauna on today with Claire Byrne. A well-known charity which provides hot meals to hundreds of people in Dublin each week has expressed concerns over the future of similar smaller soup runs which are not registered with the charity's regulator. Brian Dobson had the story on the News at
8: One. Muslim Sisters of Air Air, which is fully registered registered and provides up to 500 dinners to homeless people as part of its own soup run says the administrative burden involved in becoming a charity is resulting in some groups ceasing their work. We'll hear from the charity regulator Helen Martin presently on what soup runs need to know about their obligations. But first Lorraine O'Connor, chairperson of the Muslim Sisters of Air, said that they're worried about the potential knock-on demand for their own services if others Cease to operate?
0: If you think of this in both ways, yes, the charity regulator, we should be registered with the charity regulator. We are, okay, it took us a long time to register. But in the current crisis of food poverty, The immigrants coming into the country where there's not enough, uh, you know, there's no accommodation for them. People depend on soup runs and the other soup runs that I know that we've built up a relationship that are out there eight years as long as we are, are inundated every week as well. Now, in terms of registering, you know, with the charity regulator, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes a couple of years. To be get to that standard to be registered with the charity regulator. So between them, couple of years, what you're going to do? Shut them soup runs down, you know, until they're registered. And our biggest fear has a registered charity and a registered HSC soup run is the backlog to us. People are still going to come.
8: And that's Lorraine O'Connor, chairperson of the Muslim Sisters of ERA. Well, we can talk now to the chief executive at the charities regulator, Helen Martin. A very good afternoon to you, uh, Helen Martin, and thank you for taking our call this afternoon.
10: Hi, Ryan.
8: So what is the situation in relation perhaps to, to small soup run uh, operations around the country? People who in their, in their own town or, or village feel there's a, there's a need here, there's something they can do to, to help people and they set up something on an informal basis. Are, are, they, uh, are they in breach of charities' regulations? <sighs>
10: Yeah well this comes up uh, a lot Brian and um, the, the key thing is that in Ireland since 2009 and certainly since we were established in 2014 the charity space is a regulated space so unfortunately it's, it's not a case where people can simply set up look for for donations for the public um, and, and then carry on. Um, and there's very good reasons for that. And um, Your previous speaker there was talking about how the fact that they are a registered charity and uh, with that comes certain responsibilities that are provided for under the Charities Act and, and that's what we're there to implement and make sure that people adhere to that. And what that means is that when the public are giving to registered charities, um, there's information available to them. They know they're regulated. They mm-hmm. can go and um, onto our website checkacharity.ie and find out information about the charity that they're interested in Um, and critically you know charities are required um, to keep proper books of account they have you know they'll have their own bank account um, and if there are any issues or any questions around that the charity's regulator is then able to go in and and have a look and make sure that everything is being run right Mm -hmm. so there are good reasons for the regulatory framework that we have Um, the the other thing I would say is it doesn't necessarily take a couple of years for a charity to, Mm -hmm. to register and we have, we you know, it really depends on uh, what uh, the individuals know when they come to us, mm-hmm. how much they've engaged engaged with our our guidance. We have, you know, really good guidance on our our website, and we also have a great team mm-hmm. here who work very closely, particularly with those smaller groups, but to maybe, make sure they understand. I'm just what, wondering, what does, the, if, if are.
8: somebody in a, on a small scale is providing food assistance, a, you know, soup or a hot meal to to people who are homeless in their area, do do they have to be registered as a charity?
10: It's. It's. It, we would have to look at the particular application to see exactly what they're doing. But if if you look at you've just had a, a soup kitchen on there that, uh, or someone that's organising a soup run, and they are a registered charity, and um, because they are carrying out a charitable purpose, if you meet the charity test, um, which is set out in our act, which means that you have a charitable purpose, and mm-hmm. um, everything you're doing is 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 advancing that, you're providing public benefit, and you're operating in Ireland then you're a charity and you need to be registered right. with so,
8: the Charities you, you use the phrase looking for donations from the public. Is that the key distinction here? If you're involved in some way in appealing for public donations to fund this, then you fall within the ambit of charities regulation. If it's something you're doing from your own resources, it's your own business. Is no. that right?
10: Um, no that's not that's not correct uh, donations is just one of the ways that charities mm. can be funded and um, there are things called private charitable trusts that's where somebody uses all their, their own money they're not looking and um, from donations from the public they're still a charity the critical issue is whether you're you're doing something and um, that is advancing a charitable purpose only mm-hmm. um, and that there's public benefit and that you're doing it in Ireland so, so we do have guidance on our website charitiesregulator.ie and um, which sets out the charity test uh, clearly and we also have a um, um, uh, detailed guidance there for for people in relation to registering yeah. with us. So and Lorraine, we also have a so contact centre as so well
8: that l- assists people. Sorry to cut you but Lorraine O'Connor then does have a, a legitimate concern here because her concern is that smaller soup runs in in the particular area she's working in uh, closing down could mean more demand on their services. It could put more pressure on them. So th- this this could result. This warning, which you're 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 repeating today, could mean some smaller operators shutting up shop.
10: Well, the thing about it is if, if anybody is out there and they're they're calling themselves a charity or they're referring to themselves as a charity mm. and they're not registered, that is an offence. And it's really important that people understand that because we do have groups like the, the person you just had on there mm. and they are registered and they've gone through the process with ourselves. Um, and what we would say is it's a bit like during the um, the Ukraine, uh, the initial stages of Ukraine, mm. Brian, when I spoke to some of your colleagues. You know, setting up a charity is not done lightly and should not be done lightly. Um, and what we say to people is there are already organisations out there that are well established, that are registered charities, that are meeting the rules and know what to do. They're set up from an administrative perspective. They have their financial uh, framework um, and rules in place. They know what they're doing. So if you if you really want to volunteer and you really want to assist, um, mm-hmm. but you don't have the capacity to make an application to us um, and to set up a charity... Um, then really, I would say go and look and talk to other charities to see how you can um, assist them. Um, this is a regulated sector. I have to reiterate yeah. that. And in the interests of the public, um, it's really important that um, if anybody comes across unregistered charities, that they do let us know mm. um, through through our website. We and have, I should say as well that we, we do engage with people mm. that are, men, you know, when, when they come to our attention, we don't simply set a, you know, send yeah. out a letter threatening Just a to final prosecute point. them. Do, do, do we we will have, have substantial engagement with them.
8: Just a final question. Do, do we have a lot of duplication?
10: Um, I'm not sure you could say we've lots of duplication. Mm. We certainly have a lot of, we've a lot of charities, 11,500 charities. But at the end of the day, this is about um, public support for charities. And, you know, if a registered charity has the support of the public, has the support of funders, mm. um, they will continue right. to provide that service and step into the gap.
0: Helen Martin, Chief Executive of the Charities Regulator, on the News at One. Mobile library services play a vital role in the communities around the country, bringing books to people who may not be able to make it out and they help keep the joy of reading alive, as reporter Brian O'Connell found out on Today with Claire Byrne. Morning, Claire. So, you had some
5: conversations about reading, which we'll get to, but you better tell us where you were and why the services exist in the first place.
11: Yeah, we had some lovely conversations about reading, but mobile libraries operate, as you said, uh, nationally. Um, they're in places essentially where they don't have a library br- branch, um, places, for example, as well, such as nursing homes, schools. They might call to, to people's homes who are unable to get and about on the go for decades and as you said I did spend a day with a mobile library service in East Cork mostly it travelled to villages it did travel to a school or two to nursing homes and along the way I tra- chatted to some of those who used the service and we discussed their love of books so we also interestingly and something I wasn't really prepared for we met a relatively new type of clientele they're seeing the rural remote worker who might be working from home uh, say two or three days a week and then they pop into to their mobile library on their lunch break possibly for some social reaction, but also, of course, to grab a book or two. So um, if you don't, uh, if they don't have what you want, Claire, you can order it in advance. It really is a great service, as librarian Mary Luttrell explained shortly after we pulled up in the seaside village of Garriveaux.
6: We're coming to the people. It's not like the branch library that's open all the time. It's a rural service for rural Ireland. There are four of them in County Cork, so we cover north, south, east and west. We come to places that don't have a local branch library. Schools would be a main part of our service, we would cover nearly 40 schools, Um, we do five or six nursing homes Um, and the rest then would be villages and small towns. So anything that people request once it's in the system somewhere, we can request it, so we're not limited to what's on the shelves.
11: What's popular at the moment?
6: For the children, I think, football heroes, dogman, um, among the adults, a lot of Irish authors, crime is always popular, all the new crime, yeah. sport biographies are always popular.
11: You're meeting readers at the outset of their reading careers as children, and then you're also meeting them in nursing homes, perhaps towards the latter stages of their reading lives.
6: Yes, you are actually, I didn't think of that, but um, you are, you're meeting the, the kids coming in from play schools, we have a lot of play schools coming in and toddlers coming in, in one or two of the nursing homes, the juvenile history books, like parts of the famine, parts of War- Ireland and World War Two, are actually gone very popular.
11: What about the Mills and Boom, the old romance novels?
6: The romance novels... It's not dead, is it? Definitely not dead, no. there's a, Some people love them, they continually get them.
11: What about yourself now? When you're reading, Is, are you like the cook now who doesn't cook at home?
6: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I do. I read. I read mainly light stuff. Mainly chiclet
5: librarians always read,
6: Brian.
11: Yeah, I know, I got that wrong.
5: <laughs> <And> Mary Luttrell <laughs> there, who's I'm sure a great reader now. Um, the readers, though, who were using the mobile library service, they were very happy to chat to you.
11: Many of them wanted to tell me about that one book that maybe stood out for them throughout their lives or, or the love of reading passed on by a parent which has sustained them. One woman joked that she'd solved more crimes than most police officers <laughs> given her love of crime novels, her ability to be able to kind of figure out the plot quite early on. So I spoke with Joan Barry, who's first up in this clip and you'll hear Ada Reardon as well. She retired to East Cork about 20 years ago and both of them talked to me and what you can hear by now is a very busy mobile library about their love of books.
12: I was born with a book in my hand. (laughs) I read a book and (laughs) I like whodunits and murder mysteries and that kind of stuff.
11: (laughs) Tell me about the first book that really had an impact for you as a child. Can you remember?
12: It was a book called I think it was called The Evacuees. It was about children that were evacuated from London into the country during the war. I think it was The Evacuees, and then I used to do Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and all that kind of stuff and all the classics like Little Women and
11: A service like this obviously it's bringing books to the people essentially
12: It is I'd be lost without it What do books do for you? You build up your own imagination of the person like if you're reading say Jack Reacher books you, you know what Jack Reacher is like in your head then you see the movie and you see Tom Cruise and say uh uh-uh. oh I don't know I think I just like to lie in bed and read a book and turn the pages and get to the next chapter and if it's good I can't have to wait and read the next one, gen- and then the next gen- one okay. before o'clock in the morning, and I'm still reading.
11: <laughs> do you come in every week?
12: Every third, yeah, I do. Couldn't resist.
11: Tell me about your relationship with books. Were you always a reader? Well,
12: not not really. I wouldn't think so now. My father was. What did he read? He read all um, what around the world, you know. He read fact, and he never travelled outside of Ireland. Except he did have a honeymoon, I think, in England. But he knew. T- People thought he travelled travel the world. Because of the books. You see what books do for you. But I suppose my father got his children's encyclopedias. And we found those terrific. There were about six of them, I think.
11: These were basically the internet before the internet. Oh,
12: they were, yeah. And, you know, they were big books.
11: And they were expensive. They
12: were. You paid
11: them off, I think, <laughs> over a couple of months, some people did, yeah.
12: Maybe, I don't know, but I think he got them secondhand. They were children's encyclopedias. And I read only when I'm in bed and only for the books. Oh. I feel lost if I haven't a book to read.
5: Oh, so do I, Brian. They're my kind mm. of people. I'd have a panic now if I if I'm finishing a book and I haven't got one lined up.
11: Yeah, I'm a bit like that. But I have a pilot on the bedside locker at the moment is, since Christmas. It's kind of driving me well, a little bit listen, angsty.
5: You have them all sorted out now till September at least. <laughs> remote workers, Brian, you mentioned remote workers earlier and that's a group who are now going out and availing of, of the mobile library.
11: That's something I hadn't thought of when I was thinking about their customer base. But we were stopped outside the Garyville Hotel and several remote workers had stopped in. And as I said, they're there to get books. But obviously it, it's a social engagement as well. It can be somewhat isolating working rooms remotely and it was a chance really for a chat with neighbours. Lorna for example lives locally, works remotely and she told me why the service works for her.
13: It's just the accessibility it provides is marvellous especially now, I guess, when one works sometimes remotely um, as well as being in a town or a city, it's just great. You can pop out near lunch break, um, get books, and yeah, you're not dependent on going in on busy days of the week. It's just a really nice, I suppose, mental break as well as anything else. Were you always a reader? It's um, yeah. on and off affair, I would say. <laughs> it's a New Year's resolution and it's on at the moment. Um, but yeah, I've always enjoyed What was books. the New
11: Year's resolution? To read more?
13: Just to read more, make mm. more time for myself to read um, um, I just find it really good for switching off at night time. I have a few books I want to have a little look for, um, and I'll also have a look at the kids' books.
11: What's the one book that's stuck with you that you've read?
13: I have finally just finished uh, American Dirt, and I thought it was fantastic and has really re-engaged my mind with reading, actually, for so, a yeah. moment. It's
11: amazing sometimes it just takes one book, yes, isn't it?
13: absolutely. It broadens the horizons
5: again. Yeah, American Dirt is a a good one. Uh, School visits then, Brian, they're an important part of the services for the mobile libraries?
11: Absolutely. They make several primary school and preschool stops on the route. Uh, Each class thing gets to come out. They get some new books, get to drop back the old books. And it's about helping nourish and encourage reading at that young age and introduce children to what a library service has to offer, given that they may not actually have a branch in their local town and village. So we stopped at Grange National School in Formoy. The mobile library pulled up outside. Each class got to take their turn getting their books as you'll hear.
6: We have second class on board at the moment and they're all changing their books or some of them are renewing their books and looking for other books. My name is Ada and Ada,
11: that's a lovely name. What age are you?
6: Uh, I'm eight. Eight.
11: Are you getting a book or are you giving a book back?
5: Uh, I gave a book back and now I'm sharing my book with a boy called Sean.
11: Yeah. So what are you sharing?
5: With Dog man? Yeah, Dogman. There's a
12: new one, and it's the red one. Um, Luke Flynn.
11: Luke Flynn. What age you, Luke?
12: Um, I'm eight years old.
11: You're in second
12: no first class. oh first
11: i got it wrong tell me what book now you're hoping to get today
12: i'm hoping to get horde henry the books are just really good are they yeah what's yeah. your name harry
11: harry what are you reading harry
12: dogman dogman is so popular
5: <laughs> yeah it is
4: really yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. go on. they're very good like and entertaining as well there's very little words on the pages and but there's, there's just something in it that makes me feel like I just wanna read it, like. Is it
11: hard to put it down when you've picked it up?
4: Yeah. 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 Actually, one day I was at the library and I saw, like, a full bunch of dogman books. I was like, like, I was like, okay, I need to get every single one of them. Like, seriously, I need to get every single one of them. You won't
11: sleep a wink if you get all of them. (laughs) Right, so I better let you back to class. Thanks for no. talking to me.
0: <laughs> Brian O'Connell's report on Today with Claire Byrne. On the Oliver Callan show, continuing on from a discussion yesterday about deepfakes when Erica Corcoran detailed her frightening experience after deepfake photos of her were shared on the web. Michael James Boland, who's a law lecturer at Munster Technological University, got in touch.
9: Hello, Oliver. How are you? How are you doing? Thanks a million for getting in touch. Uh, just remind us ab- about what you said, because Erica Corcoran was saying she didn't really know where to go or whether it was illegal for these AI-altered photographs of her being shared on sites and what to do about it?
14: Well, what I said was that uh, since 2021, uh, a piece of legislation called the Harassment, Harmful Communications and Related Offences Act Mm -hmm. uh, has been enforced. And uh, what this piece of legislation does is make it a criminal offence to share intimate images of another person without their consent and also to record intimate material of somebody else without that person's consent. And in the context of what Erica was speaking about, uh, the issue of deep fakes, uh, I just wanted to say, uh, like I did yesterday, that that legislation, the Harassment and Harmful Communications Act, uh, does cover deep fake images because of the rather broad definition given to intimate image in that legislation.
9: Is there anything then Erica could do using this law that isn't going to run up an enormous legal bill? Because that is obviously a great obstacle for people.
14: Well, the legislation is there insofar as uh, if somebody manipulates a photograph of another person and creates uh, an image of a sexual nature that purports to be of somebody else, well, it's first and foremost... Is a criminal offence to do that under this legislation. And uh, short of going to the guards and going through all of that process, there was uh, a rather interesting uh, case just before Christmas, uh, whereby a a, a non a not-for-profit organisation called Digital Rights Ireland. Uh, made an application to the High Court for what's known as a Norwich Pharmacal Order. And the effect of such orders is to enable individuals who may have been victims of this type of practice uh, to identify the wrongdoers, i.e., the people who posted see, or yes. uploaded material to the internet of them. Where they're using and, anonymous,
9: they're coming across as anonymous, but we, can, okay. You can exactly. Of yes. course,
14: that's. That's a, a perennial problem on mm. the internet, uh, the anonymity, um, and so this Norwich Pharmacal order uh, has been around for quite uh, a long time. It is a judicial remedy insofar as the courts can order a, a uh, intermediary, for instance, a social media company, to uh, disclose the information. Uh, needed to identify wrongdoers. And in that particular case, uh, before Christmas, uh, the the Digital Rights Ireland was seeking this information in order to bring a civil action for damages, that is to say, in order to seek compensation for 11 women who were the victims of image-based sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, in order to bring such a civil action they first needed to know the identities of the wrongdoers. And so that is the purpose of the Norwich Pharmacal Order. So in response to your question, Oliver, what can be done? Mm -hmm. Short, as I say, of going through the criminal process, there is civil remedies. And this case before Christmas uh, demonstrates how uh, it is possible for a representative body bring what is known as a representative action, a form of class action on behalf of victims and seek a remedy for them. And that might, I say this because that might perhaps alleviate some of the fears that people might have about going through the criminal justice system or going through the legal system um, in the first instance, because this enables a representative plaintiff that is to say someone who brings a case on another person's behalf Uh, this enables a representative plaintiff to do that
0: and that was law lecturer Michael James Boland on the Oliver Callan show and that's all we have time for on this edition of Playback Daily so from me Louise Herity thanks for listening and take care